Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Tony Dudzik, Pick Guardian. Jared Brandon. Brandon One Pickups. Hey, this is me, Todd Novak. We are super thrilled that you are along for this ride of the Guitar Knobs podcast. Uh, we love doing this. We're very happy to be all together in the same little room in our little studio talking about guitar stuff with and for you. On the line, we've got somebody very special. Hi, this is uh, Scott Baxendale, and I own Baxendale Guitar in Athens, Georgia. Woohoo! Yes, and I met Scott at his shop in Athens, Georgia, while visiting Nick Greer. And Nick said, "Hey, have you ever heard of this dude?" And I said, "No, I don't believe I have." And he says, "You gotta be, you gotta go meet this dude." And we over went over and met him, and. It was fantastic, and I was just, I walked in, and it was like a giant candy store, and we'll get into what all that means shortly. It's going to be amazing. But first. But first. Hey, what do we do on the show, everybody? We talk about stuff. What kind of stuff? Guitars. Electrical guitars. Okay. And and uh, amplifier devices. Specifically, you do. We interview uh, small boutique builders, or sometimes the bigger ones, and uh, we talk about what they do and how they got started. And uh, we also talk about pedals a lot, which is good. Yep, and amps and all kinds of stuff. And pickguard makers. And, yeah, well, we did that one time. (laughs) And ephemera. (laughs) Yeah, and ephemera. I love ephemera. Yes, That's right. So, uh, yes, we are the we are the the champion of the of the small builder, so to speak. Right. Yes, uh, and we have been since day one, and we're dang proud of that. So, yep. um, we it's a good place to be. It really is. It's an exciting place to be. That's where all the interesting stories happen. Yeah, just Absolutely. like the one we're going to hear tonight. Uh, so let's talk about really quick. Um, well, well, first of all. If, if you are listening and you have the capability to go to Baxendale Guitar, that's B-A-X-E-N-D-A-L-E, and then guitars, right? Yeah, no S on guitars, just no singular. S, just yeah. singular. Baxendale Guitar, uh, go to the, go to check it out, uh, go, to the, go to the Instagram and check out what he's posting. Uh, they've got a really, really active Instagram and I think you're going to be really excited about what you see. Um, yeah. The Instagram page is called Harmony and K underscore conversions and also Scott Baxendale music. So that'd be what you can find us on Instagram. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, he mentioned the Harmony and K and just a, just a little a hint of what we're talking about tonight. Uh, Scott basically converts and restores those, all those old awesome uh, harmony and K and silver tone style guitars that we see at guitar shows and on Craigslist and everything we say, man, that looks like such a cool, cool guitar, but man, that thing's going to play like garbage. That's and right. he fixes that and That's makes right. it play awesome. And I know because I got to handle one myself. And they it was look amazing. super cool, but like, plus geez. we improve the sound quite a bit too. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So we're going to talk about all that good stuff later, soon. Not not so much later, sooner than later. Sooner than mm-hmm. later. Yes, indeed. Uh, Tony Baloney, what's going on in your music world this week? Let's see. Well, last time I think we talked about, I uh, ordered up that Phantom Guitar Works uh, Phantom 6, mm-hmm. and it arrived yesterday, and it was just phenomenal. Um, cool. I got it in. Uh 
the the buyer or the seller uh it had a very good description the photos he sent matched with what i had and uh just as a reminder this was a like a mid 90s uh as i found out from the guy that uh started phantom guitar works who was the guitar player in quarter flash whoa i'm gonna harden wow. my heart yeah that's a great song <laughs> But anyhow, um, I, I found it really interesting because as I was doing a little research on this, so uh, the story is that uh, Vox had made, G- JMI slash Vox had made uh, a, a Phantom, which is like the five-sided kind of an oddball shaped thing. And they also made a teardrop one that Brian Jones played. Right. And uh, they made those pretty much through the 60s. And in 69, they stopped. And it, their trademark ran out mm-hmm. so they no longer owned owned it oh, and then uh, boys. and then uh phantom guitar works came along and in uh, the early 90s started making them using those same shapes as the headstock as well as the body shapes yep um they uh, actually applied for uh trademarks for both the body shapes and the headstocks and received them from the u.s patent office wow then Vox, owned by uh, Korg at this time now, decided they were going to release them. And they didn't, they thought that, well, since we made them in the 60s, we can we make them should, now. Yeah. So they, <laughs> they, uh, they, they tried to put a lawsuit against uh, uh, Phantom Guitar Works. And they said, uh uh-uh. look at what we got. Yeah. You guys let it run out. And uh, so uh, they've been you know, pretty successful in defending their. Uh, Phantom Guitar Works has been successful in def- in defending their trademarks uh, because there's a lot of uh, I mean you can see them coming you know from overseas and things like that mm-hmm. and they've been able to protect it pretty strongly and they've even fended off Korg which is a monster corporation now sure uh, but I thought that was kind of cool and that's you know it's another one for the little guy yeah I guess so yes that's a, I can't wait to see that thing in person because I I really like that body style I think the headstock's kind of wacky I'm not really a fan of that but that's what they use I know I know I know but I I do like the body style uh Scott are you a fan of the uh the old uh that old body style um uh, I'm not a big fan of the headstock either myself yeah, there so, you go. So that's yeah. two against one, Tony. Yeah, well, I'll take you both on. <laughs> put them up, put them up. <laughs> uh, Scott, how about you? What's going on in your music world? Well, you know, I just spend a lot of time at the shop, but um, when I'm not at the shop, I've built a really nice little recording studio in my house, and I just work on little music projects. I re- work on recording acoustic guitar a lot, and uh, I do some mixing and, and stuff like that, and working on some songwriter projects with some friends. Nice. Nothing, nothing too serious, but but I like doing it, and I'm trying to get more involved in it uh, as I trying to not work quite as hard on guitars as I have the last ten years. Well, you shouldn't have to because you have a small army over there. Yeah, we got like ten guys over there right now, which is pretty amazing. Like full time, they were, nobody Seriously. was standing around. Yeah, like yeah. everybody was working on guitars. Holy, it was awesome. it's buzzing over there. Yeah, that's 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 impressive. And and maybe what's Maybe even more impressive is it, uh, if I can, you know, elaborate a little bit on this, at least to my knowledge, I mean, you're, you're actually teaching a lot of these people how to do it. Well, everyone there has gone through my school first before, and some of the guys that are there are still going through the school, but, uh, over half the guys have already graduated and they're doing, working on customer work now. Like the students, they don't work on customer guitars. They just work on projects I give them until they 
achieve a certain skill level before they, and then they slowly start working on customer stuff as they advance their skill level. Like retarring the roof and stuff. (laughs) 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 Making coffee runs. (laughs) They work on banjos. They work on banjos until they've earned their keep and then they move up. Ah, the banjo. Nice. The sexiest of all instruments. (laughs) Well, you you know what, what we say at the shop, you know what you call perfect pitch, right? It's when you throw a banjo into a dumpster and it takes out a cello on the way in. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite thing I've ever seen, and you'll appreciate this as you're from Georgia, is... uh, uh, the bumper sticker uh, that I saw was "Paddle faster." I hear banjo music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Funny. Uh, cool. I think that's a deliverance reference. That would yeah. be a deliverance reference. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Jared, how about you, buddy? Well, uh, Zachary came over today. We hung out a little bit and kind of caught up. Uh, is been, Zach feeling better now? He is feeling better. He's been kind of under the weather lately, and uh, feeling better came over. Um, <clears throat> And I said, Zach, I love the way my 79 Les Paul Custom plays, but my 1970 uh, Les Paul Custom, it's got kind of smaller frets, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't cut your uh, fingernails, then you you just feel like you're digging into I that ebony. That. I hate that. I you hate that. You feel like that. you're digging into the ebony fretboard, and it's like... Ugh. Tell him I can do here. What what am I gonna do? I thought, do I uh I think you, you know, should cut your fingernails anyway anyways. They're oh, cool. yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on. I mean, I keep mine pretty trim, but that drives me up the wall That's if I get a guitar with an and my fingernails. You're just trying to be dumb. Uh, well, I can explain why that problem exists. Well, they're smaller frets and uh, Well, they're, they're fretless wonder frets and they're they shaped are. like a T. There's no like crown on them. They're just like if you look at from the end and it looks like a T. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the flattest, tiniest fret. There's no crown whatsoever on it at all. Well, I still have some of the old fretless wonder fret wire from when I was a Gibson warranty service guy from years ago. Wow. Oh. So what do you do? Just kind of use bigger strings or what? No, it was really designed for a person who played with like eight or nine gauge strings and played with almost no left hand pressure, just really light technique. Like oh, Angus wow. Young. You know, it was, less, it was for Les Paul. And, and if you ever watch how he plays, he played with just barely touched the strings, you know, with his, his, his left hand was kind of messed up in any way from his car wreck. Yeah. And he, he, he plays so fast and you can tell he's just barely, I mean, he barely has to touch a string to fret it, you know, mm. it's just like so light action. So when you do a re- refret on something like that kind of guitar, I, obviously the desire is to keep it as true to the actual um vintage that it is i would assume not necessarily i'm just i like that's what i said i assume honestly in most cases people want me to change the frets into normal frets so i was more often than not i'm converting it to standard frets a refret destroys any kind of true vintage value Mm, Um, but if you make it a more playable instrument then do it yeah if you do the refret right i i beg to find somebody who could even tell that's been refretted. Yeah. If you do it correctly. Yeah. And and so I mean, so obviously, you know, I get that a lot with like vintage guitars and people will say, well, it's got the original frets in it. And I go, well, do you want to play it or do you want to work it? <laughs> yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah, if you want to use it. And, bad, if, and if you know if you do the the fret job correctly and if you use the authentic wire and all that kind of stuff, really it's almost virtually impossible to tell that's been refretted when it's done. So uh, when, when it comes to like the, the, on the binding and the, and the little nubs that stick out, uh-huh, do you normally uh-huh. uh, take those down or, 
uh, do you just like cut the frets to fit within the, uh, the I've done it open? both ways. You, you know, the, the nubs are a big debate. Some people hate the nubs and some people like them. I happen to love the nubs because what the nubs do, uh, they prevent any sharp fret ends and they prevent any issues where the high E string will get hooked up underneath the fret where it's Amen lifted up on the corner. And yep. you never have any sharp fret ends on the edge of the neck with the nubs. And so when I build my custom guitars with bound necks, I put the nubs on them and do it that way. And it takes longer to make because you have to put binding on the ne- on the side of the neck and have it come up to the top of the fret. And then you have to carve the binding away in between the frets. Yeah. And we actually made a fingerboard like that today, today at the shop. And um, then then when you have those nubs, then you dress the ends of the nubs just like they were the ends of the frets. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a vintage Les Paul that has the nubs, there's a couple ways of doing it, and the, the best way is if you can take the binding off and then put the frets in with the binding off and then reattach the binding and have the nubs match up. Yeah. Um, other cases, the nubs get worn down, and you can recreate the nubs because the vintage binding that's made out of cellulose nitrate, it'll dissolve in acetone, and so you can kind of make a – you can kind of – fuse it back together it'll melt it back together and stuff and so you can kind of make new nubs out of some binding dissolved in acetone that creates a new nub and if you do it right you can you can make it where you can't even tell wow and so there's a few there's a few little tricks to to get around all that i like me some acetone yeah. <laughs> and if, it's a, if it was like a 70s or 80 les paul that that wasn't it was more of a player and less of a collector's piece Normally, I would just flatten the nubs and just refret it like a normal guitar without the nubs, too. Mm. And that's, I've done it all the different ways. Nice. Yeah, in my case, with my guitar, it's in pretty good shape. It's original condition. The frets aren't like worn down. Uh, it's not the case. It's, it's just, just the, the fretless wonder. It's just know? the fretless yeah, wonder. Yeah. So in that, you right. know, in that case, I'm just going to leave it as it is. Mm-hmm. And try putting nines on it and set it up really light, and just play it with a different technique when you play it, and just mm. try it. Try That's a what different it has down play, now, yeah. playing approach. Yeah. And just try, you know, you know, use a tiny pick and barely touch the strings, and try to do lots of sweeps and stuff like that. I don't know. I, you know. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know what to say on that, but it it is a different playing technique. It is and definitely. That, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Or raise the nut and play it as a slide guitar. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Or just refret it with the frets you like to play and just play it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, Todd, what's yes. going on in your your musical world? This I week? had a. Uh, I just spent the, uh, the night before last. Uh, I I realized I was like, gee whiz, I haven't. Um, I haven't changed the strings on the two of my band guitars in dang near a year, mm. which they normally a, I would. Did you get a tetanus shot? No, I mean they were <laughs> they were still in a, in really good shape. They weren't they weren't blown out or anything. They're they don't S- play S- them enough. Sit, then. dude, I play them like all week long, and they actually stayed in. Tune? They were yeah. They honestly they I I was shocked. Do you like, boil them? I didn't boil them. I didn't do anything. I, the only reason I had to change him, and I was still getting great harmonics on him and everything, but um, hmm. I just changed him because I said, you know, it's been a while. I should probably change him. Uh, so I'm just vouching like those are that I like them strings. Um, but switched those out, and uh, it was nice. It was just down in the basement, changing out the strings on the Hags from Viking and the Les Paul uh, special, and uh, watching a little Andy Griffith. 
Yeah. I love Floyd the Barber. He's so funny. I love Floyd. Anyways. Hey, the Darlins were on that show, and that included uh, yes. Clarence White, who was the started who invented country rock was in that band clarence and roland white the two oh, brothers right. were in that band yeah the darlins yeah. were the darlins so they were yeah. like 15 14 15 years old then yeah They're and fantastic. then clarence white went on to be in the flying burrito brothers after that that's right yeah and, Remember that? uh, they made I knew roland white when i lived in too. nashville i knew roland white there he used to come in the shop when i was at gruen's no kidding yeah yeah i wish i would have been able to meet floyd i like floyd the barber but anyway <laughs> so the barber Hey, let's talk about some pedals. Woohoo! One, two, one, two, three, four on the floor. Okay, Scott from Baxendale Guitars, why don't you give us your four on the floor? All right. Well, my first pedal of choice is an old green TS9 Tube Screamer that I bought new probably in 1993, maybe. My man. And uh, <laughs> I love I, those. it's been my number one pedal ever since. I can't imagine you being without it. Um, I find that it gives me a little more presence and punch, uh, you know, it just gives, it just gives some natural compression and just puts it right in the mix where I'd like to be. And mm -hmm. it, if I set it right, it allows me to basically control my clean and dirty settings for the most part with just my volume control. So nice. I, I start, that's my first pedal. And now, then is that when, when you got that, uh, what, what made you get that pedal in the first place? Stevie Ray Vaughan, probably. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, most, yeah. Uh, not not long before that, like in the late 80s, I got to meet Stevie Ray Vaughan in the recording studio and oh, wow. I actually got to play his number one 59 Strat through his rig in the studio when, during the time he was recording Cold Shot. Holy moly. And uh, it was it was a pretty cool evening just that night meeting him and getting to do that. And he couldn't have been a nicer guy. He was just as cool as coolest guy you could ever meet wow and basically he just handed me his guitar and let me play through his rig while he was in the studio and it was just really nice and of course that was kind of a central piece of his uh pedals was the the green tube screener because i think he had the older one with the square button on it and i had the like the first like reissue version of it oh you mean the little square button yeah, yeah. The, the, the ts505 yeah. or something like that yeah wow. which, which, which hat was he wearing <laughs> I, I don't know i can't remember that <laughs> ah, it's a true test that's, of memory that's yes. that sounds pretty remarkable I don't remember but he had a big plexiglass shield in front of his like amps that he had and he had like six six or seven amps all hooked up together oh a couple black face supers and some tweed amps tweed deluxes and stuff like that and they were they were all like kind of stacked all together and he had these big plexiglass shields in front of him yeah, he probably had them and when he too. Yeah, and I took a guitar that I made, and he was playing that first before I played his guitar. And he plugged that guitar I made into his rig, and he goes, he goes, hey, man, I wouldn't stand there if I were you. You need to move over here. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what? <laughs> it was loud. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Very cool. He was, he was cool. That was a great night. And I, I have Buddy Guy to thanks for that night, too, because uh, the reason I met Stevie Ray was because I was at a show with Buddy Guy, and I was in the green room with him, and Stevie Ray called him up on the phone, and I was standing right next to him, and he wrote the phone number down on a piece of paper, and I just memorized it and went across the street and called him up and told him I had some guitars I wanted to show him, and he invited me out to the studio. Wow. <laughs> that's Now, that's there using you your go. noggin, man. Yeah. yeah. Resourceful. <laughs> so I got to meet Buddy Guy and Stevie Ray on the same night. Wow. Cool. That's mighty cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you have for number two? 
Number two is a Nick Greer pork and beans pedal. Oh, mm. yeah. And uh, I like that mid mid boost. And I use it in conjunction with the Tube Screamer a lot. Like the Tube Screamer sort of just like gives me my basic tone where I set the, I kind of set the gain on like six and I get the distortion on like five or six and the treble and the tone on about like 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then that just sort of feeds everything else. And then so I go into the pork and beans pedal. And then I use that when I want to like kick it into high gear on top of the tube screamer. And uh, Nick makes some great stuff, man. He makes great stuff. I I like all his stuff that he makes. It's all bulletproof and it all works great. Uh, when I was out there uh, visiting you guys, I had just picked up the the Southland drive. Yes, uh, which uh, I've I've been playing around with and trying to trying to figure out like wh- like. Whenever you get a new pedal, especially a driver, you're like, now, where does this go? Here? No. <laughs> yeah. Here? No. Here? Maybe. Here? Yes. <laughs> he's, he's got the nuance of distortion down to like a science. Oh, yeah. He just can, like, can, he can, he'll go off and tell you about the mechanics behind why this distortion does this and that one does that. It just blows my mind. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's also worth mentioning that uh, his, his super chief, that little uh, three watt wonder, uh, don't even need distortion. It's just, a, I was just going to mention oh, that. I just got man. one of those two weeks ago oh. and I've been reamping tracks through it in my studio. It's, it's ridiculous. Incredible. It's ridiculous. Yes. Really, really incredible people out there listening. If you are in the market for a small amp that has a colossal amount of attitude, um, and can also like roll off into nice cleans. I, I mean, you would be hard pressed to find a better one out there. That's right. And it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, what do you have for number three? Well, number three is a Korg G4 rotating speaker simulator. Ooh. Cool. And I've had that pedal since the 90s. And the only reason I ever bought that pedal was because um, it was because of Warren Haynes, actually. And when I lived in Nashville and worked at Gruen's, my best friend in Nashville was Alan Woody, who played bass with Government Mule and Allman Brothers. He didn't then when I when I, when we were best friends. It was after that. And so it was around the time that Government Mule was really starting to get into high gear that I was able to to meet them one time with Warren. And he showed me this pedal, and I just couldn't believe how closely it simulated the Leslie, with, uh, especially if you use two amps with it. And so I've had one ever since, and I haven't really found a Leslie simulator that I thought was any better than this one. And it kind of has all the parameters of a Leslie 122 on it. You can vary the spread of the microphones, and you can vary the speed. Ooh, that's how cool, fast. varying the spread of the microphones. Yeah, it's like got like a, a emulation of the upper rotor and the lower rotor microphones, and you can vary the stereo spread of that, and you can... Uh, you know, and if you feed it through two amps and spread the amps a few feet apart, man, it moves the air, and it's like the closest thing I think to the real thing huh. that I've that I've actually ever used. And I used to have a Roto Vibe, and I've had some other ones. And, and who's yeah. who, what make is that? It's a Korg makes it. I, I, they don't make it anymore. But okay. Yeah, it was made back in the '90s. They had a series of pedals that all kind of looked on the same footprint with the same array of buttons, but they were different colors. And this one looks like it's kind of chocolate brown and looks like just like <laughs> it looks like a Leslie cabinet with little drawings on it. And so <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And so I use that. And then my fourth pedal after that 
is a toss-up between uh, a delay pedal, which I use for certain types of gigs, and a wah-wah pedal, which I use for other types of gigs. Ooh, you got to pick one. All right. Well, it'd be the delay pedal, because I use that more often. All right. And I'm not happy with the one I have now, and I'm always I'm on the lookout for a new one. And I'm actually looking at a guy's bringing a carbon copy in on Monday for me to look at. Oh, that that's been on the show many times. People have selected that as one of their four on the floor quite quite often. The carbon copy is yep. one of those ones that just just like they it, got it right. It'll work. Well, a lot of the gigs I play now, I'm playing uh, my Silvertone fourteen forty six, which is a hollow body guitar with a Bigsby on it, mm-hmm. and I'm doing a lot of like Tex Mexy kind of surfy vibratoy kind of stuff, and to just have that kind of slapback echo in there, it's kind of essential. Sure. To get that kind of sound. And especially if I'm doing this, like, especially with the Bigsby where I'm doing long sustaining stuff, which I'm getting kind of into lately, mm-hmm. that uh, the echo lends itself. So I use that a lot more than the Wawa these days. There you go. Mm-hmm. That is a solid four on the floor, my man. It's a good Thanks. one. Thanks. Yeah. With a little surprise with the, with the, ro- with the uh, speaker. That's right. That's cool. kind of fun. I'll have to track one of those down. Yeah. yeah. I want to hear what that sounds like. It's got me intrigued. Yes. We are all intrigued over here. Look at us being intrigued. Intrigued. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, everybody, we are going to discuss with Scott what is up with his whole thingamabob in the guitar world. Uh, If you have uh, not had a chance yet, let me remind you to check out Scott or to check out Baxendale Guitar, B A X E N D A L E guitar.com and Harmony and K. Uh, slash conversions underscore underscore conversions. conversions. Oh, yeah, on I Instagram, right? On Instagram, yeah. And there's Baxendale Guitar on Facebook too. You can go there. Yeah, so go and check that out, and so you can have a little bit of reference of what we're talking about. But uh, uh, as I mentioned before, I was down in in uh, Georgia visiting my folks, and uh, made my way down to Athens to go visit Nick, and we walked over to uh, which they share the same parking lot, so they're literally buddies right next to each other next door neighbors yeah and uh i walked into to the shop and i was greeted by your lovely wife uh and pam uh, pam yes yeah um and uh i immediately saw past her to see a huge stack of harmony and k you know style guitars and i was like wait a minute what's this and he didn't nick didn't give me really a whole lot of pretense he just said let's go check it out which you quickly ushered me into the you know the the front playing room, and <laughs> I'm a fan of these old guitars. I really like them, uh, uh, but I have not played one that hasn't played like doo doo. Like, like I'm just gonna be honest, you know. And right. I walk in, and you had a like you know a showroom of all the ones you've refinished, and that was an absolute treat. Just a just to look at them and you just start picking up all kinds of ones and telling me about it. And it was just great. So I figured, you know, we don't do a lot of, um, acoustic guitar stuff on this show, uh-huh. uh, simply because I'm, I'm just not as familiar with that entire world. And, uh, I'm just more comfortable in the lane that I'm in. Uh, but this one's in particular, I think, pl- um, People that typically play the kind of stuff that we do, the kind of instruments and the kind of music and all that stuff, do gravitate towards these style guitars. 
and we're familiar enough with them, but I just really liked the idea of what you were doing. So let's let's get deep into that. Um, All right. Can you just give us the give us the elevator of what you do, and then we're gonna back up and we'll get way deep into it. But just give okay, me a cool. kind of quick reference on it. Well, basically, I've created this process where we take an old department store guitar and Harmony and K were two companies in Chicago that built guitars for every department store in the country uh, from around just after World War One up into the mid seventies. And all through those years, every department store like Sears and Roebuck or J.C. Penney or Montgomery Wards or Western Auto, they all had music departments where they sold guitars. And where they got those guitars were from Harmony or K. And they could have their own name printed on them. For instance, if it says Silvertone on it, that just means it was sold through Sears. Or if it says Airline on it, that means it was sold through Montgomery Wards. And they could be the identical guitar just with the two different names on the headstock. And, and that just means they were sold in different stores is all. And so there's millions of these guitars made. And from my generation, and, and I was born in 1954 and grew up in the late 60s and the 70s. This was my generation, basically. But we all grew up with these guitars as the beginner guitar that we had and the beginner guitar that every kid bought. Just something happened when I was in Denver, Colorado, where my son decided he wanted to learn how to fix guitars. And I had three or four of them laying around. And I just thought, well, why don't I teach you how to work on guitars? And we'll just take this old harmony apart because it's already fallen, half fallen apart anyway. So let's just take it the rest of the way apart and then we'll put it back together. And then in the context of one guitar, you're going to be doing a neck reset and you're going to do a plane and refret and you're going to make a new bridge and you're going to figure out the neck angle and, and the playing geometry and you're gonna make a new nut and make a new saddle and make a new, do all that stuff. And so just in the context of working on this one cheap guitar department store guitar, you're going to do cover all these bases in guitar repair that, that will occur every guitar that comes in the shop, you know, in terms of the fretwork and the nuts and the bridges and stuff. And so I thought, what could be a better teaching tool to teach my son how to work on guitars in that. And so after we did like two or three of them, we started to realize, oh, hey, these things sound pretty good and they play pretty good. And so we just hung them up on the wall and they kind of just started selling themselves. So we started getting a little bit more into it. And then we started finding cooler models and different models that were interesting. And so we just, it just sort of expanded from there. At the same time this was going on, I was sort of expanding my luthier school uh, you know, I was teaching this repair skills and how to work on guitars. And, and again, these cheap Harmony and K guitars, which essentially they're built just like Martins and Gibsons. So when you learn and make all your mistakes on a $10 Harmony, you know, then after you master the skills, then you can start working on the expensive, valuable guitars. And so I just sort of saw these as a guitars that would just, you know, be practice guitars, basically, for your repair skills. Mm -hmm. But the results turned out so good. And when we first started doing this, like, you know, I, I noticed when you're in the shop, you know, we have a bunch of the little three-quarter Stellas and the, the cheapest guitars they made with the painted binding and stuff. And for the first five or six years or so that I was doing these rebuilding, we didn't even touch those guitars because we didn't think the wood was good enough to be worth it. Mm. And then at some point, I had so many students and I didn't have enough guitars that we just started rebuilding those too. And then realized that, you know... 
these things sound just about as good as the ones with the mahogany on them, is, uh, you know. And so we realized that all these, they made millions of these inexpensive guitars. And so I began to realize that, wow, not only are these guys learning how to, you know, do professional neck resets and professional refrets and stuff by working on these, these guitars, but the guitars are turning into such great guitars. And then I started realizing about the environmental aspect of it and the green tech aspect that was, that was happening because as you know, when I first started my first rebuilding of the harmonies with my son, maybe 15 years ago, that was right when they first made Brazilian rosewood in an endangered species. And since that time, they've made Honduras mahogany and all the rosewoods are now considered endangered species, including Indian rosewood now. Started thinking it was, well, I'm taking these old guitars made with this cheap wood and some of the wood's not so cheap, like the mahogany guitars are, are, have really nice wood in them. But I'm taking these guitars and repurposing this old wood and then taking the crude insides out and putting sophisticated design insides in them so they have a professional grade tone and sound. And so I began to see what a what a an amazing green tech thing I was doing. And and so now between the school and the teaching and then this whole aspect, it's really starting to explode. It's such a great story, just, you know, again, kind of stumbling into something that is really impactful and Thanks. is completely unique. I'm I, hopefully I get this right, but I believe that when I was there, you were telling me that a lot of the tops of the uh, the, those old guitars were actually the same the same woods that that Gibson it was like the G- Gibson wood or um uh, oh yeah they were buying a lot of that wood I think from Martin's sawmill Martin yeah because Martin had a sawmill and they would they would sell wood to other manufacturers and stuff and I think a lot of the like the mahogany and spruce and stuff you see on these guitars that were made in the the 40s and the early 50s and the late 50s up to the late 50s like from maybe from the late 30s up to the late 50s the woods and all those guitars is is spectacular it's way better than the wood that's in new martins you know for the most part or mm. new boutique guitars and um you know and being not in acoustic guitars maybe you haven't heard this term so much but but now in the acoustic world is this whole thing about having torrified wood and um Torification is a process where they take it's a process that happens naturally to wood but it's also a process that you can do uh in a big oven (laughs) you can be done yeah and what it's a process that was originally designed for uh stabilizing wood to make big doors in like big cathedrals and stuff and so like and and this goes back like two three hundred years this process where they take the wood and basically bake it in an oven until the all the moisture is completely baked out of it at a certain temperature. And then it makes the wood extremely stabilized. And is that the same so, thing as tempering or, um, uh, it's not tempered. That's glass, but, um, shoot, like the kind of wood you put on decks and stuff. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like no. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's, stuff like is, tem- it's more like tempering actually. Okay. In yeah, a way, when you think about it, because basically the, what happens, uh, uh, like here's the reason why, mainly the reason why Chinese acoustic guitars that are made by the millions basically all suck. And so when they, when they cut down a tree now to make guitars with, they cut it down and they cut it all up in, and they put it in a, in a vacuum kiln basically where they suck the moisture out really fast. And they, they, 
bring the wood to a certain moisture content, which is about 7%. And once they get the moisture content level of the wood to 7%, that's considered stable. And that allows the wood to take in moisture and release moisture so it can survive in all different environments. And humidity is kind of the biggest thing with wood because wood acts like a sponge where it sucks in moisture and it expands it and stuff like that. And so when they force dry the wood really fast like this, what happens is the wood does act like a sponge where when you get in a humid environment, it sucks the moisture into the wood and it swells it up. And then when it dries, it releases it and shrinks back out. And these guitars, and it's not just the Chinese guitars, but a lot of the American made guitars, a lot of new Martins are like this. A lot of new guitars are like this, where the first few years you have the guitar, unless you maintain strict humidity control over the guitar, you risk cracking it just every time you take it out, basically. And when I lived in Colorado, I mean, and being a Martin warranty service center out there, I was just had this happen <laughs> all the time. You know, every day, a person would buy a guitar at Guitar Center on Saturday and go up to Aspen. And then by Thursday, the guitar had three cracks in the top where it just shrunk Rocky all Mountain. up. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so torification is the thing where they take the wood and bake it in an oven and they they do all this stuff to take the moisture out where it can't do that anymore and stabilizes it. Uh-huh. And wood naturally torfies on its own. Like that's the reason old guitars don't have this issue where they shrink up and swell up. And where, where if you, if you're on tour and you're in Georgia this week and in Colorado next week, you don't go out to Colorado and the fret ends are cutting the edges of your fingers where <laughs> the neck shrunk and stuff like that. Because old guitars have, have shrunk and expanded 50, 60 years through seasons and stuff. And so the wood is stabilized completely. And so with these old harmonies and K's, that wood's so stable that after we rebuild them, you don't have any of those kind of issues when you're, when you're traveling. And so a lot of people that are on tour love them because they don't have, they're bulletproof out on tour, you know, because they can go all around the world and not have playability issues when they go from dry to humid or hot to cold, you know? And they've been stabilized, uh, not only from a, from a humidity standpoint, but from a bracing standpoint and a neck standpoint and all that stuff. Hey, can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, I'll just explain the, the process. So we get a guitar. And what we'll do is we'll we'll take the bridge off and the pit guard and all that stuff, and we'll take the neck off. And then after we get the body, we'll take the back off. And if it's got binding on it, first we'll we'll carefully take the binding off. And then once we get the binding off, we can separate the back and take the back off. And so then once we have what we call the shell, once we have it opened up, we clean out all the internal bracing inside of it and, and then clean up the inside of the guitar. And we, and we take off the back bracing and the top bracing. And then if there's any kind of structural issues, like say it's got a crack or say one of the seams is loose or, or it could be anything, we'll fix all that stuff while it's apart because we can clamp it all up really solid in our forms and stuff. And so there's no issues with it being misclamped or misaligned with any cracks and they all it gets really stabilized. And then we take and put our tuned proprietary scallop X bracing inside. And it's based on a design that's a hybrid between a mid-30s Martin design and a mid-30s Gibson design. And then kind of my own design as it's slowly evolved over the last 30 years that I've been doing this. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's a scalloped X bracing and it's not anything 
entirely unique. But I learned some things about the 30s Martins that separates them from the others Martins that I think I discovered some things about the design that really separate my design apart from another traditional X design, for instance, mm -hmm. in terms of having full balance and the perfect kind of tone. And then to the next, uh, you're doing some things in the next, yes? Right. So after the body's all back together, we will take the neck. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, go, well, is it better to get one with the adjustable truss rod? And I, actually, I say, no, it's not because the necks, once we, we take the neck and we pull all the frets out, and then we plane them out on a belt sander, like on a big table sander. Mm -hmm. And we get the neck really straight, and then we re-radius re the fingerboard at the same time we straighten the neck. But once we've done all that, the neck has done all the warping and twisting. It's going to sitting in the closet for the last 50 years under string tension or being in the garage or wherever. And so once we've stabilized them, there's virtually, we've almost hardly ever have neck issues with them. You know, every once in a while, we'll have to reset a neck that's pulled up or something. But you, we hardly ever have any playability issues because of the neck relief or the fact that, you know, has a rod in it or doesn't have a rod in it or something like that. <laughs> and most of those ones obviously don't have truss rods in them. The, the, the 30s and 40s don't have rods in them. The 50s have non-adjustable rods in them, and mm -hmm. the 60s have adjustable rods. Okay. But the here's the thing about the adjustable rods is we don't adjust them because half the time they're so rusted on there, you try to adjust them, and the nut breaks off in your hand. And right. then, you have to, then you have to replace the truss rod, which is a, which is a lot harder job. And so, and also once we straighten them and do all our thing, you don't have to adjust them. So right. it's not, it's kind of a moot point. Cool. Good. Good. And good. I actually think the, the best sounding ones are the early fifties ones that have the non-adjustable kind of steel reinforced rods in them. Is that, is that like a T-bar or? Um, in those, it's just a round rod. Okay. The Martins had T-bars in them, but the Harmony is just, it's a round steel rod. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. It's kind of like a double stacked rod so that it's kind of vertical stacked so it has some like resistance. It's now, like folded over on itself kind of. Okay. One of the, uh, I noticed that you had, you were using some very interesting ways to actually stabilize some of the bracings. And I know that you've, you, on your Instagram, you've got many pictures of this, almost like a natural tension. So it's not, you're not putting like a million clamps on the bracings. You're, you're actually using sort of distributed weight. You have these uh, all, you know, exactly cut, uh, very long, but, but pliable, bendable sticks. Right, right. That you what, go ahead. Yeah, please, please. Yeah, you, you'll called, do better than I will. <laughs> it's called a go bar deck. And so we've got the say we've got the body apart and we have the back off and we have the top. Well, we can lay the top down so we can flatten the inside of the top from the inside. And when we glue all our new braces in. But what it is is a go bar deck is a flat table and then it's got a roof on it on it that's maybe three foot above that. And so you have a bottom and a top. And then you have a bunch of sticks that are cut to different lengths. And these are actually made of redwood. And, you know, if you go to the Guitar Luthiers, the store, they'll sell these like kind of fiberglass kind of tent pole type sticks, mm -hmm. you know, and to buy enough to do the kind of work we do, you're going to spend hundreds of dollars buying them. And we can just buy a redwood two by four and cut those up and, and shape our own sticks and use those. And that works just as well. Mm-hmm. And so we make our own sticks, but 
And so anyway, the sticks are different lengths and they correspond to different height braces and different types of guitars and whether we're doing the back or the top and stuff like that. And so they're all color coded. So we'll have red sticks and green sticks and blue sticks, and each one indicates a different length. And that way, so some of the braces have peaks and scallops in them, so they're different heights when you're trying to glue them in. So they'll use different color sticks. And so um, if you were, you could use standard clamps to glue all the new bracing and stuff in, but the clamps would be so heavy that if you torqued it a certain way, you could actually like damage the guitar because the guitar itself is so fragile. And the tops that you're working with, um, part of the, the the beauty of some of those, you have really interesting uh, paint schemes and and patterns and illustrations and all kinds of things that, you know, if you're not careful, those are gone. That's true. That's true. We get a lot of, um, you know, this has kind of been relatively new thing with all these stenciled pattern cowboy guitars and stuff like that, that mm-hmm. always have this like artistic designs and stuff on them. Those are something that, that early on we didn't really do very many of those, and now we've started to do a whole bunch of them. And that's true. That's and so we're always trying to maintain the original patina. Like we're not repainting them necessarily. Uh, you know, once in a blue moon we do, but generally we don't. And we we try to maintain the original look. So if a guitar comes into us and it looks like it's been all beat up, and the finish is all flaking off, and we'll rebuild it and structure it, it'll be new but it'll still look all beat up and everything. And so it's sort of like, you know how Gibson and Fender and Martin are all making these fake relic guitars where they take these new tellies and whatever, and they scratch them all up and make them look like they're 50 years old. Well, this is kind of the opposite where we're taking old beat up guitars and we're structurally rebuilding them new. (laughs) And uh, so we call them real relics. uh, Along those lines, one of the really neat things that that I saw was some of these guitars that don't inherently have pickups. You know, this isn't something that is so expensive that you can't sort of modify. And it looked like, I know that there was a couple that were being, you know, played and tested that had pickups in them that didn't originally have pickups in them. That's true. And that's a lot of the arch tops and especially the like kind of the well, any of the Harmony and K arch tops, but they made a ton of these like inexpensive birch arch top guitars that don't really sound that great, but they're cool looking. And usually they're all busting apart at the seams and stuff. And so we'll take those all apart and rebuild them structurally. And those are the F hole guitars. And there's not a, there's only two braces inside of F hole guitar. So there's not this like magic scallop proprietary bracing I can go put in them to make them transform the sound and make them sound. 10,000 times better. Mm-hmm. But what we do is we go in and rebuild them structurally. And then we change the neck geometry so that the, that actually has a taller bridge, which is more like a Gibson style bridge, like arch top bridge. And that actually puts more drive on the top, which makes them sound better. But to top off that on, we, we electrify them and we could do that a couple ways. And one way is on the nicer ones, we'll make a bake light, raised arch top pit guard and mounted to that as a mini humbucker that mounts up at the neck and then all the controls are on the pit guard and so you can plug that in and play it through any kind of tube amp and you can play it loud and distorted or you can play it real jazzy and it sounds really awesome they sounded fantastic so it sounds fantastic so it's kind yeah. of like a johnny smith type model yeah it's more like a kind of it's more like a 
George Thorogood, but only not a thin body kind of guitar right. and not a cutaway mm-hmm. kind of like a, yeah, sort of a blues, 50s blues, jump blues kind of archtop guitar or something. Pretty and, uh, the, and then on the cheaper ones that we, and we sell these for like eight or $900 out the door with, with ready to go and you just plug in and rock. We'll just route a humbucker right in the top and put the controls right in the guitar. So it'll be kind of like an ES-125, basically. Yeah, and they don't, they don't look silly. Either. They don't look silly. They look awesome. <laughs> We've got these cool retro vintage-style radio knobs that we use yeah. on them. They look really good. And, and, and they're uh, all unique. That's the other thing. It's not, it's not like you have an assembly line of, like, here's 15 right. guitars that look all the same. It's like every one of those things looks different. Each one has its own special it's, they're thing. beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, we're right now, uh, I would I would assume that the kind of music that's out right now is, uh, I, it feels like is really tapping into what you're doing. Um, I, I, are you, did you have you seen like a, a huge amount of growth recently? Well, we have. We've been getting a lot of uh, um, a lot of interest. You know, we've getting some write ups and some magazines and stuff and. But I mean, just some of the things like, for instance, Jim James has just started using one on, on his acoustic tour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have Luther Dickinson and Buddy Miller and the drive-by truckers and Wilco and uh, Butch Walker. And uh, I mean, the list goes on and on of these people that are using our guitars and some of them are using them pretty extensively, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nels Klein, his acoustic guitar is one of our rebuilds. Jeff Tweedy's got like two or three of them that we've done for him. And, uh, what, what we find, especially with the flat top guitars is that they, they end up being in studios a lot because they record spectacularly. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're just one of the best they recording guitars they ever. Got, they got their own sort of thing. They've got their own thing and they have kind of a natural compression where, they mic really well because they're really balanced. They're not like tubby sounding and they don't have like a, the, they don't have like a lot of guitars and I, I hate to, to drop names, but you know, guitars like Taylor's and some breed loves and stuff like that. They kind of have this weird kind of hole in the mid range. And if we could get into the details of the bracing design, I could explain why that, that is. But, but what happens is they, you end up, they end up kind of sounding tin, tinny or bright. Well, they call it bright sounding, but what is yeah. it's just basically they're just missing a hole of a mid range that they're missing out, you know, or they sound really bass heavy and you have to roll the bass off on them to record them. You, know, yeah. you just have to cut all that out, record them. The tinny kind of thing it always reminds me of like when when someone's plugged into an acoustic amp, yeah, or you have an acoustic kind of simulator thing going on. And it just it, you can you can tell it's like. Oh, it's like coffeehouse guitar sound. Oh, well, here's something I should tell your listeners, because since you guys have a lot of electric guitar guys, mm-hmm. here is the best, and by a million miles, the best keep it simple, stupid way to mic your guitar, amplify your guitar to gig, your acoustic guitar. Okay, and you can buy any, you can spend hundreds of dollars buying like a bags pair acoustic DI or some kind of proprietary acoustic box that has a million things on it. But the best thing ever is to get a tube mic preamp, and it can be as simple as a $50 ART tube MP that you can buy at Guitar Center for 50 bucks. And you substitute the direct box with this tube mic pre, 
And if you can afford a good one, if you can afford like an Avalon U5 or anything, you know, I have a DBX that costs $99 that I use, but it has to have a preamp tube in it. And then you just tell the guy at the gig, say, look, I'm going to use my, I have my own direct box where I'll use it and you just substitute that for the direct box. And then the preamp has a pre-gain, a post-gain, it has a 20 dB pad and has a phase reversal switch on it and it has phantom power, which you won't need. And it also has a quarter inch in and XLR in and a quarter inch and XLR out. So you plug the guitar in to the box, you take the XLR out to the PA, you get your monitors and your mains all set up with your direct signal. And then you take the quarter inch out and you run that into your electric guitar rig through your pedal board and everything. And then you mic that up and then you have this option where you can use all your pedals and whatnot and split that and mix. And the guy, the house guy can blend that all in, you know, with the, with the clean signal. That's pretty clever. But tube amp, and I'll put that on stage so I can sort of my personal monitor. And so I'll get my main set up and then do that. And then if you just add just like a, just enough slap echo just to kind of fill the room, it'll make your acoustic guitar just fill any room with the most present sound, full balance present sound without any fighting the drums or the bass or anything else or feedback or problems or anything like that. And every time you do that, the sound guy will say, that's the best acoustic sound I've ever heard. Oh, You can do it for 50 bucks, you know, with an art tube MP and just eliminate all that EQ, extra EQ crap, you know. Or stuff, I mean. All right. <laughs> Eliminate uh, all that EQ stuff, extra EQ stuff. So speaking of uh, amplifying acoustics, do you get any uh, requests for, you know, putting in a piezo bridge in any of these uh, old? Probably companies? over half of the rebuilds we do get some sort of transducer in them. And the two that we prefer is uh, the K&K Pure Mini, which we put in a lot of guitars. And, and I recommend that for lower stage volume. And then we use the Fishman Matrix, which I recommend for higher stage volume. And in both of those cases, I recommend the tube preamp in the same exact method. Wow. Nice. Good yeah. to know. That's some helpful tips for yeah. a lot of folks. There out are there. cases, there are situations where a magnetic style pickup, like a sunrise or something like that, works pretty good. Mm-hmm. And those can be effective in certain kind of like, especially like big concert stages, like arena stages and stuff like that. Mm. The magnet, sometimes that magnetic pickup can uh, be a little better but and that's just essentially like a hollow body electric guitar when you do have that pickup on there sure right sure. cool man well i'm so glad you got to share your story with us and all about your the guitars that you're making um thanks i yeah, man that was just a, such a cool shop to go see and see everybody upstairs working and just be like Happy campers working on these old guitars it's i want really to see neat it. yeah i want to see it i want to see it it's a great shop yeah, I want you all to come in and check it out. Yeah, well, we're I'm sure we're going to, we'll make it down there at uh, at <laughs> some point in time. I'm definitely, my folks are down there, so I'll stop in some other time for sure. One thing I wanted to mention that, you know, we were talking about me and Nick being in the same complex, that whole entire uh, office complex is like a, a secret weapon in the art world because you have, you have us and you have Nick, but you also have Dave Barbie has uh, his recording studio in there and he records so many records in there and okay. has two, two studios in there actually. And then the drive-by truckers also have their uh, offices and equipment warehouse in there. And, you know, so you have just like this whole like collection of, of 
movers and shakers, I guess and, you might and, call them. And it's really kind of in the middle. I mean, realistically, it is a bit in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's just on the edge of town, and it's, it's incognito. There's no no flash no. or fanfare. No, you couldn't even tell. There's nothing to indicate that Dave Barbie Studios there. I mean, except a door that doesn't have any sign on it. So yeah. you'd have to know it's there. Yeah, it's either it's either going to be a great recording studio or like the best barbecue ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Cool. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get out of this thing here with a little bit of. Would you rather? Okay, this week's would you rather? So you broke your back carrying your drummer's drum stand bag, and uh, you're recovering. So, but you want to play out, right? So you have to choose between two guitars that you can, you know, slung, sling over your shoulder all night long. And they're going to be very light. So would you rather have a red Parker fly? Okay. <laughs> can we get more specific? Or <laughs> they're extremely light, by the way. And they're kind of... Well, I'm assuming so. That's the whole joke. All right, what's the or? <laughs> or... Extremely light, by the way. A newer... <laughs> Uh, reissue because I think they're uh, much lighter than the original. A natural Telecaster thin line. Oh well, that's the '69 or '72 style. There's, there's, there's absolutely no question that it would be the Tele. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how far this would you rather is going to go, but let's go. Let's so, keep okay, going. Scott's, Scott's got the thin line. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Thin line for which sure. I need to know which which style of thin line the sixty nine. It would no matter if one. it's a red Parker fly. If it's <laughs> <choice, it could laughs> well, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you and, that. And, and let me tell you, from a from a technician's point of view, the Parker fly had some of the coolest things and some of the dumbest things ever put in a guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never ever worked on a Parker fly where the Overthought out ribbon cable design on the electronics was not a complete disaster in the guitar, mm. and I had to completely rewire it all because any as soon as the pot worked its way loose, it just destroyed the ribbon cable that held all the electronics that connected all the electronics together, and it was just it was terrible. I didn't even know so, they had the proprietary ribbon thing about. I know they had a lot yeah. of other proprietary stuff, which is I've, kind uh, I've of probably the whole fifty thing. Parker flies I've had to completely rewire because of that. Oh boy! <laughs> well, maybe after you run out of harmonies and K's, you can have a yeah a Parker fly repair. I built fifty tellies that I've loved. I built fifty tellies that I've loved every one of them. <laughs> I've hated every Parker fly I've ever had yeah. to fix. <laughs> All right, Tony. Uh, Next. I mean, even, I mean, I would prefer if it was a 69 style. Well, of course. Because, yeah, without the, yeah, you don't, I don't, I don't, you don't, want I don't the like, wide range. I don't, I don't care for those. You know, you my custom Tele Cooley casters that I make are made like Tele thin lines, only there's no F hole in them. So they look like a solid oh. body, but they're oh, chambered. Yeah. They're well, real pretty awesome. Cool. Have you ever yeah. seen that? The, uh, it's a, it's a Fender. With Waller pickups. Um, it was the prototype thin line that actually has like a spruce top with binding. Well, I've seen that before, but I don't know if the, I don't know if the one I saw was the prototype. Or not, yeah, it was I've in this. It's in this it. one really cool. I'll have to I'll have to dig it out, but it's a really cool Fender book, and it's got I, some of the best photos of really oddball stuff. Hmm. It's, it's like my wish list book. I played the all acrylic Stratocaster that was made for the trade show that you know back in the. 
1964 or five or whenever it was. Oh, that had to be nice and light. <laughs> yeah, that was like 20 pound, 20 pound strap. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing worse than a 20 pound strap. Yeah. No, so, so I'm, Tony, I'm going, I'm going with the Telecaster. Right, I mean, there's, right. there's just no reason to with even, well, even I would even go with one that has wide ranges yeah. over the Parker fly. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Jared. Oh, you know, I got to go with the Telecaster thin line, like one that I own myself. So yeah, uh-huh. I'm definitely definitely thin line with the wide range. With the you know, you like the, the wide ranges, huh? I make them, man, and I make good ones. Yeah, I, this I is like true. Sp- this is true. I, I sp- like split the you know split the coil. I actually use the the screw magnets and not you know not just put a slot in the in the pole. Do you make uh, any with a bar magnet? No, no, I don't. Nah, because you know the reissues come out like that. Those are really good sounding if you want a PAF sound. But if you want a true seventy-two sound, you'll you'll go with you know the actual pull magnets that are much sure. But uh, but yeah, they're not a, actually they're not a bad pickup either. But yeah, that's that's what I go with. I mean, the Parker Flies were really cool back in the nineties when they first came out. You know, and you really didn't know much about guitar. I, I didn't back then. Yeah. So I just knew that they were super light and they were cool looking. Yeah. You know, back then that was, you know, that was my. My visual of them. I understand that. I there's no way there's no way I'm gonna get a Parker fly. So I mean, this one's pretty <laughs> unanimous. Uh, we we've brought that up a couple times. Like, what is up with that? <laughs> it's <laughs> weird. Parker, all Parker guitars are weird. But what's weird about the Parker fly is it seemed like all my customers that had those were kind of the one man band kind of guy yes, that played played right. at the Holiday Inn and they had were so the, light. Had yeah, the they, keyboard and the drum thing and the whole yeah. deal, you know. <laughs> they they later the, traded their Parker flies for very axes. Exactly. <laughs> Which was a trade up, probably. Well, <laughs> trade up and down at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Parker flies were expensive too. Oh yeah. yeah. When they first came out, they oh, definitely yeah. were. They were crazy. Well, I who knows what's up with that and whatever. And if you have one, well, fine. That's the Ken good. Parker arch tops are just as weird as those Parker flies, too. Yeah, the whole thing is, I don't get it. But anyways, uh, well, thanks, Jared, for that one. Um, Tony. Yes. Could you could you help us out real quick? What, what would you like me to do? I would like you to, um, with moderate expe- expediency. Moderate expediency. Yes. Todd told me earlier he wanted you to be really slow. No. Oh, no, okay. I didn't. Well, you know, at this time of the show... Mm-hmm. There's a spe- special group of people that we like to thank. Yep. These people uh, really do help make the podcast possible. They help us offset a lot of costs that a lot of people don't realize are involved with a podcast. Yes. Um, so if you go to patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs, the guitar knobs, there's a couple of different levels that you can participate in, and once you want to, if you want to sign up to be a patron mm-hmm. on Patreon, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's like one dollar, five dollar, ten dollar a month, and even even twenty, and twenty and more, yeah. and and if you can afford it, well, let's go with the let's let's roll the dice. Sky's the limit, baby. Sky's the limit. We'll put a special prize package together for but, you. But uh, but the ones that we are going to discuss right now, yeah, yeah, the ones that we're going to discuss right now. Uh, are our executive producers. Right. And one of the biggest benefits, in addition to all of the great T-shirts and... Barefoot buttons. Barefoot and buttons and, and stickers and sticks and, and you name it. There's a big, 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 big package coming your way. Yep. 
And the, but what happens, Jared? You get to have your name read on thing. You get your name read on the thing. We're gonna do that right now, and that's what we're gonna do right now. So, <laughs> I would like to welcome. We're gonna go from newest to oldest. Yes. Is that okay? Yes. Are you comfortable with that, Todd? I am. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure because sometimes you look at me funny. Uh, yep. Like now. <laughs> so let's welcome on board Jonathan Jerusik. Yeah, and a huge. Huge shout out to Jonathan Drusick. He has been a supporter of the show for a very long time in in ways that didn't have to do with Patreon. He's he's just you know he's a great dude and he's uh he's given us a lot of moral support and we greatly appreciate it. And he's joined the Patreon club and we couldn't be more happy. I just talked to him today. He's a good customer of mine. Yep. Oh, excellent. Let's see if he needs some pick uh, pick cards. That's right. Uh also let's welcome. Ken Sayers, Ken with an N. Yep. Uh, Corey Nigro, mm-hmm. Doug Gann, Brad Partridge, Michael Van Zant, Doug Christ, Zach J. Wright, Gary Goodman, and son Beckett. Beckett. Woohoo! Uh, Darren Gregory, Robert Marfleet, John Anglin, Chris Carney, or Kearney. 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 Sorry, Chris. Uh, Sean S. S. Oliver Gonzalez. John Daly, Robin Smith, Pete Marshall, Carlos Mancha, Matt Brammer, David Wolfson, Martin Cliff, and last but not least, Mr. Tom Barazin. Yeah, man. Hey, everybody. Thank you guys so much at every single level that you are helping the show. I We, we truly, truly thank you and appreciate you so much. Okay, Scott, where can people find you? They can find us in Athens, Georgia at Baxendale Guitar. Uh, Baxendale Guitar on Facebook, Harmony and K underscore conversions on Instagram, or Scott Baxendale Music on Instagram. And our number is 706-546-1116. Excellent. Hey, I'd like to give your listeners a deal. Anybody that comes in my shop and say they heard about me on this show they can get a 10% discount on any of our Harmony and K conversion guitars, and I'll give you a 20% discount on any setup work that you need on your guitar. Wow. That's nice. That is fantastic. That's, that's practically worth the trip to Athens. Yeah. Is it Now, is it just walk-ins? Is it, a, is it online? Is it call-in? What, what does that include? Uh, walk-ins or call-in or online. Okay. If they say they mentioned you, then that's fine. Awesome. Then. So just, hey, everybody out there, mention, first of all, go check out these guitars anywhere you can. All right. Then what you're going to do is you are going to get a hold of Scott at Baxendale Guitars and tell him that you want one of these guitars. And trust me, you want one of these guitars. Mention the guitar knobs and you're going to get hooked up massively. Um, I, I, I'm really excited about that deal. I, I was I was thrilled to get you on the show because I knew our audience would really dig this. So oh, thanks. Thank you so much. That is an incredibly generous offer. Um, you've been a super great guest, and we thank you very much. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Tony, where can people find you? Well, if uh, let's say someone's looking for a custom pick guard, maybe they want to change out pickups, maybe they want to do uh, some arch top conversion or something oh, like that. Okay. Maybe you need a bound guard. All right. That's something I do. Uh-huh. You can go to pickguardian.com. Mm-hmm. You can also uh, see some of the projects and things I'm working on or have worked on on Instagram. And that is under the handle Pick Guardian and the number one because some schmuck 
took Picardian already. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. You that, know how they are. Secretly me. Oh. Jared, where are you <laughs> going to go? That's why my name is Brandon Wound. So if you guys need uh, any new pickups or new pickups that are old looking or you need some uh, rewinds, um, I'm pretty quick at that and pretty low cost. Um, get a hold of me, Jared at BrandonWildPickups.com. You mentioned to fa- you, fa- you failed to mention that they sound amazing, like r- legitimately. I let, these I let are my, really let other people say that. I got them in all my guitars; they're fantastic. Thank you. I've and, got uh, a bunch. Yeah. Yes, and see so what does I, you, uh, Tony. <clears throat> see what I do on Instagram too. I'm always posting funny stuff that I do on there. So. Yes, nice. Cool stuff. Uh, you can send me a line at Todd at the guitarnobs.com or DM me on Instagram uh, and uh, make sure you go check our stuff out. And if you haven't subscribed to our feed on Instagram, for Pete's sakes, just hit subscribe. Just hit, just hit, just hit follow. Just do it. It's super easy. Drop us a line with a question or a comment. And that's how you're going to get all the killer deals that we are able to to give to you guys. Yep. So thank you again. Massive thanks to Scott at Baxendale Guitars. And for the offer that he so generously is giving to our listeners. Uh, I guess that's it, everybody. Have an awesome guitar week that's and right. subscribe. Yeah. Well, that's it for these knobs. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs. Visit our website at theguitarknobs.com for all of our past episodes, four on the floor blog and other good stuff. You can connect with us on social too at our Facebook page and share your gear and stories on our Facebook group. Also, be sure to check out our Instagram at Guitar Knobs. Catch you next time.